Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hello, and welcome to Culture Lab. I'm Christy Taylor. This is the show all about how science plays out in our cultural creations. Sometimes we talk about the science behind popular TV and movies. Other times we talk to artists and authors about the research that influenced their works. Today, though, as is appropriate for the end of the year, we're going to reflect a bit on the best books we've read this year. Whether your preference is for science fiction, science fiction, or pure nonfiction, we have got you covered. What came out in 2023 and should it go on your to-read list? Is it a good use of your holiday gift cards? Grab a pen and paper and get ready to dog ear some podcast pages. With me, I've got professional bookworm Allison Flood, who is culture and comment editor for New Scientist. Welcome, Allison. Hi, Christy. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I am excited to take some time off and catch up on my reading this, <laughs> uh, this winter. So I am actually very excited to be talking to you and getting some of your advice for starters, you have a lot of books that cross your desk, I imagine. How do you figure out like what makes one good? How do you decide that you have liked reading it? I guess I want to I want to tell people about it. There's there's things that I want to go and chat about and discuss with other people. Um so this year we actually launched the New Scientist Book Club, which so far we've only covered science fiction. But the way that I've been choosing books for that is basically these are books I want to talk about with other people. These are books I want other people to have read so we can talk about the ending, we can talk about the things that they raise, and I don't have to kind of kind of preface it with spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. Let's start with your very, very, very favorite books of the year. Best in show, standout, top book. You you only get one, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, well, I have one in fiction and one in nonfiction. Yeah, yeah um, let's do that. All right, that's okay. fair. Excellent. Well, I'll start with nonfiction. It's actually a book that I read right at the beginning of the year. It's called The Good Life by Robert Wildinger and Mark Schultz. And it is based on the world's longest scientific study of happiness. It began in 1938 with 724 participants who were all interviewed and given medical exams when they joined the study. And then throughout their lives at periods, they were interviewed again and asked lots of questions about their happiness, given more medical exams. And now the study has expanded to include more than 1,300 of the descendants of the original participants. So it's kind of drawing lessons from that. And I just really loved it because um, the big finding 
from it was how much having warm connections with other people predicts that you will stay healthier for longer. So it can be different kinds of relationships. They're not saying that it needs to be a romantic relationship. Everybody needs, they say, like a secure attachment relationship, a person who you could call in the middle of the night if you were sick or if you were scared. But um, other types of relationships also confer health benefits like friendships, family relationships, work relationships, even like the casual relationships when you kind of say hi to the person who makes your coffee or whatever so all of those give you a little kind of buzz of well-being and in the end like make you make you a healthier person too so it reminds me how important it is to to work those relationships to not sort of hope that they'll just continue without you doing anything to help I really really love that and sounds like an intriguing book to read just for figuring out how to do that work and and how to sort of build those things in your life yeah and he they go into different kind of the study's happiest person, which is, I think it's a guy called Leo who has nothing particularly dramatic or amazing happen in his life. (laughs) He just has a nice family, a nice job, sort of plods along and is happy and healthy. Um, So yeah, just sort of drawing lessons from the people that were part of the study. And they also bring up this concept of this thing they call social fitness. And they say how you should work your social fitness just as much as you should like your physical fitness that you can't just like, like I was just saying, you can't just expect relationships to to be okay. You, You need to text or you need to say hi, you need to put time into them. It's not like you go to the gym once and then that's you done. You have to keep on doing it. And that has really stayed with me through the year as well. All right. You said you wanted a fiction option for this too. So yeah, what so have we got? For fiction, um, I picked a book called In Ascension by Martin McInnes, which we haven't actually read as part of our book club yet, but I'm hoping we will do next year when it comes out in paperback. So I found this book really extraordinary. It's uh, narrated by a woman called Lee, who's a marine biologist, and she helps to discover a trench in the Atlantic Ocean, which is 36 kilometers deep. It's just kind of appeared there. And around the same time, um, NASA engineers make this breakthrough in propulsion technology, which will allow space travel far beyond anything that's happened before. And Lee, who's this, this algae expert, is hired by this secretive new space agency with these big plans. And I won't say anything else because I just found the revelations that come in the book to be wonder bringing and and amazing. But there were moments in it that I just so wanted to talk about with people. So I forced my mum to read it as soon as I finished. <laughs> <laughs> and I super recommend it. I think I'm already hooked on this idea because there's this very thematic connection between the ocean and deep space that I feel just naturally comes about when you think about the degree to which we don't know the ocean and the degree to which we don't know deep space. And so the idea of a fiction piece that sort of connects that just it sounds beautiful in so many ways. It's beautifully written as well. It's really kind of elegant. So yeah, so those are my two favorites um, and do read them. I want to go back to sort of the bigger picture for a second because again, Many, many books pass across your desk in a given year, and I can't help but wonder if there are themes that have kind of emerged over the course of the year or the last couple of years, things people seem to be writing about a lot more than maybe in past years, for example, both in fiction and nonfiction, honestly. Yeah, so in nonfiction, I feel like there's one really lovely theme that has emerged this year, which is sort of the natural world and what we can learn from it. So there's been quite a few titles out 
on this topic on all sorts of different areas. So there was one I really liked was called Of Time and Turtles by Cy Montgomery, which was described as an ode to turtles and sort of what we can learn from them and the way that they experience time passing. So that was really lovely. And then on a similar kind of topic, there were two books about ancient trees and what we can learn from ancient trees. So there was Jared Farmer's Elder Flora, which was subtitled A Modern History of Ancient Trees and kind of looked into the lessons and survival they can offer us. And then there was a book called The Power of Trees by Peter Volben and Jane Billinghurst translated that. And that's kind of arguing for natural reforestation, but it's looking at how ancient forests can save us if we let them. That's, that's the subtitle. But on, on kind of the animal topic as well, one of our um, crossword writers, Richard Smith, wrote a lovely book called The Jay, the Beach and the Limpet Shell, Finding Wild Things with My Kids, which is a really lovely memoir about exploring England's beaches, really, and, and wild places and doing it with his children and seeing what what it can teach them. But I really recommend that too. So, yeah, I felt like that was a nice and uplifting kind of a theme that I noticed. Maybe on the less uplifting side there's a lot of tech books out this year particularly looking at Elon Musk so there was Ben Mesrick who's quite a big uh, non-fiction name he did a book about um, it was called Breaking Twitter Elon Musk and the most controversial corporate takeover in history and then we had a biography of Musk from Walter Isaacson as well and we had Kashmir Hill's Terrifying Your Face Belongs to Us, which is an exploration of facial recognition technology and how it's impacting our privacy. And we had Naomi Klein, her book Doppelganger was kind of going down an internet rabbit hole into a world of conspiracy theories. So very jolly read too. <laughs> yeah, Doppelganger is definitely on my to read list for the coming year. And I've heard so many fascinating interviews with Naomi about that book and, and I'm very intrigued about it. Let's talk more about some things that you couldn't stop talking to other people about then. You know, you mentioned that that's one of the things that makes a book good for you. What else couldn't you stop talking about? Yeah, okay. So there was, I, I did do an interview with Lewis Dartnell for the podcast earlier this year on his book, Being Human, which is about how our human biology has shaped the world. So it covers all sorts of things, but it's one of those books that you can dip in and out of and come up with a fact that you can go and blather on about it to people so the one that I remember going on about to my family was about how um scurvy gave rise to the mafia so this what? is how uh, <laughs> I know it sounds focused doesn't it but he he argues it through really well so it's about how in the 1800s the kind of British navy was having trouble with scurvy but they knew that um, lemon juice could help with this so they planted up Sicily with loads of lemon trees oh. and then they needed the people were stealing the lemons because they were worth a lot at this time because of the effect that they had on scurvy and so then they hired in kind of heavies to protect the lemon trees on Sicily and so eventually then you have the mafia so it's all full of like little brilliant nuggets like that so um that was definitely something I couldn't stop talking about and then fiction wise I think the book that I've gone on about most probably is the first book that we chose for our book club, which was Justin Cronin's The Ferryman, which is just a dream of a science fiction novel that you want everyone to have read it because then you can talk to them about 
about what he does with it because you can't say too much because it would spoil it. But basically, the the outline is it's set on this island called Prospera, which is apparently a utopia, but you kind of think it's there's going to be something going wrong here. But the citizens live a charmed life there until they get too old, and then they're sent off to this neighbouring island where they're rebooted and they return again. But um, our main character gets a message that the world is not the world and he starts to realize things might not be what they seem and then it sort of goes deeper and deeper and wilder and wilder and yeah it's definitely something I wanted to talk about it with people but you can't say too much Mm -hmm. (laughs) because you'll spoil it. I I can feel you like desperate not to spoil that. Well the good thing was because we did it for our book club that I got to interview Justin about it and we could talk all about the secret (laughs) that was really fun. Amazing. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Let us fully escape reality now because you've, you've talked quite a bit about books that are, are kind of grounded in maybe our everyday or, or maybe close to things that are really happening. But what book did you find really took you away from the things that were happening in your life or in the world as a whole? What got you out of your head? What were your escapist reads? Okay, that's a great question. Um, so I've got, I've got a couple of nonfiction books I wanted to mention here. The first is Carly Ravelli's White Holes, which I think you can safely say that takes you out of your head. I'm not a... Physics, yeah. (laughs) I'm not a physics expert at all. So this for me was was like a challenging read, I would say, is it's taking on the biggest questions in physics, like stars and black holes, the nature of time. But it's short, right? It's 150 pages. So you can, I can cope with that. And it, it explains to you what these white holes are, which are essentially black holes going backwards in time. It kind of posits that they could exist and talks you through a black hole, kind of going into a black hole through the event horizon. And our reviewer, Abby Beale, who is a physicist, said that it was one of the clearest pictures she's encountered about the physics inside these extreme objects. And she has read a lot of descriptions of black holes. So so yeah, I, w- I would definitely recommend it, even if, like me, your physics physics isn't your strongest point. It's super interesting. Well, and the concept of a white hole, which is even more mind-bending than the concept of a black hole, and I couldn't even explain it to you, but the fact that he can get you to maybe kind of understanding those by the end of a book just 
sounds like quite a feat of yeah. communication. And he's a beautiful writer as well. So so that's great. And then the other one I wanted to mention is easier to grasp and just a lot of fun. It's called Once Upon a Prime by Sarah Hart. And Sarah is the Gresham Professor of Geometry, and she's looking into the connections between maths and literature. So this is right up my street. So it's, it's talking about how Tolstoy used calculus in war and peace. He's talking about how George Eliot said that she would take a dose of mathematics every day. It's like looking at um, various giants in literature and little people like the borrowers and Gulliver's Travels and analysing how they might have existed in the real world. And apparently um, Jonathan Swift gets it right with his with his Lilliputian. So, um, so yeah, it's really fun. It's one another one of those ones where you'll end up with lots of nice nuggets to to bring up in certain situations. So, yeah, that's that's an escapist one, too, I think. Okay, so that was escapist nonfiction. I feel like this is much easier uh, if I ask you for an escapist fiction recommendation. Yeah, well, there's so many, aren't there? But um, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna tell you all to read Bridge by Lauren Bukers because I think that Lauren is an amazing science fiction writer, and this latest one is just so much fun. So it's about um, this woman, Bridge, whose mother, who was a brilliant neuroscientist, has just died, and Bridge is clearing out her mum's house with her friend and finds this thing that she suddenly remembers is called the dream worm. And she starts to remember that back in her childhood, it possibly opened doors to other worlds. But she has sort of, I don't know, psychoanalyzed this out of, of being a reality. But now she's found it again. She starts to look into it. And it turns out that maybe it does uh, help her travel to other places in the multiverse. And then it turns into this crazy thriller that she's sort of leaping around worlds and chased by baddies. And it's just it's just fantastic amount of fun. So it's an escapist read about escape. Yeah, basically. Yeah, I can put that on. <laughs> or about <front>. escapism. <laughs> Love it. I'm going to cut in here and tell you some books that gave me joy because I feel like that's like the next theme I would like us to talk about. I read very little things that are brand new, but I had two books this year that I read that just brought smiles to my face across the board. And on the fiction side, that was Starter Villain by John Scalzi. Uh, we mm. interviewed him for the podcast this year, but it's... The premise is that a young man finds out that he is the nephew of a superhero villain and has inherited a volcanic island full of henchmen and talking dolphins and cats who are middle management. And he goes on a series of adventures that, again, it was it was pure joyful. It was lots of fun. I learned a weird amount about sort of the impossible economics of being very rich. It turns out you don't necessarily have that much liquid money even when you're very rich, because the whole world economy could break if you did. Um, <laughs> but it was it was so much fun and, you know, lots of movie references and just a delight from sort of cover to cover. What was your fiction joyful read this year? It was a book that I didn't expect to be joyful at all. Mm. So I don't know. Have you read The Power by Naomi Alderman? I have. Yeah. It's not joyful. Not at all joyful. So um, I liked it a lot, but I wasn't expecting her next one, which is called The Future, which is just out to be joyful so um but it turns out I finished it with this sort of glow around me um I, I loved it so the premise of this is that it's kind of the, the sort of present maybe a little bit on from now and the world is obsessed with prepping for doomsday for like the end times everyone thinks it's going to happen anytime now so um one of our characters is this sort of YouTube survivalist expert who makes a lot of videos about how to how to cope if things go wrong but we follow kind of three tech billionaires who 
are also obsessed with prepping for end times and who get a secret alert at the beginning of the book telling them that end times are about to happen and they need to flee to their secret bunkers. So again, I'm not going to say much more because there's loads that goes on. But somehow you end with this warm and joyful feeling. And it is so funny as well. Um, She just does it brilliantly. I think the power is funny too, but this is funny in a different and maybe warmer way. And yeah, it makes you think about it makes you think as well about how how much we do love stories, don't we, about the apocalypse. We just yeah. we just love to to think about it and as in this book to plan for it. So really interesting book. On the nonfiction side, I took a lot of joy this year from reading a book called The Possibility of Life by an author named Jamie Green. And she wrote about, you know, the premise is not just why there may or may not be life on other planets, you know, it's it's about aliens but also what the search for life sort of says about us as people. So she talks about science fiction aliens, how they show up in Star Trek, how uh, life on Earth may or may not have originated and how it could potentially sort of show up in other places, but also what our imaginations are doing, both in limiting us and expanding us at the same time. And, you know, as I say that, like, those are a lot of heady themes, but she also grounds it so well in in optimism and detail and, you know, the pictures she paints of what sort of these bacteria on Mars could be doing if they exist. It was all very wonderful. And maybe it also counts as escapism to a certain extent. But I just found myself smiling as I closed the book because it left me feeling like, you know, even if there isn't life on other planets, and maybe that is one of the conclusions, Life here is pretty good and special and miraculous in a lot of ways, and and that's important too. If that that sounds that sounds wonderful, it kind of in a very different way. It's looking at something similar, maybe to to the nonfiction book that I found really joyful, which was Catherine May's Enchantment: Reawakening Wonder in an Exhausted Age. So it's a sort of memoiry kind of a thing in which the author is very ill and at home and unable to do anything and is desperate to capture that feeling of awe that you get if you go and see the mountains, the the natural world, but she can't really do that because she's at home. And then she realizes actually she can and she goes outside and it's dark and she looks up and she sees Orion and she feels like her her tininess in the universe. And it's about her, well, like, like the subtitle says, finding that wonder again when she's been burned out and is sick and exhausted. So it's sort of just, it reminded me that that we can easily do that from home at any time, that there are amazing things for us to see. So it did leave me with that sense of of joy at the end. I think I want to leave us, you know, we have joy, we have escapism, but we don't always read for those reasons either, right? We read to learn, we read to maybe reconsider where we are at now as as a species and a society, sobering reasons maybe. And I'm wondering if there are any books that sort of touched a nerve for you in that way. I've picked three and I've just realized that the three that I've picked are all kind of looking at the same issue from from different angles. So kind of the, the, the impact that we humans have on the world. So I chose the mayor of London, Sadiq Khan's book, Breathe, which is about how he kind of didn't really care or notice particularly the dangers posed by air pollution. He used to have a Land Rover and then he got asthma and it transformed his view of the environment. And he... um. It's sort of it's a manifesto. It's tackling the seven obstacles to environmental action. It's got solutions in there. And I just I like the way that he wove his own story that 
that he sort of didn't start out as this person, but he has become this campaigning person. So there's that. And then there's Oliver Franklin Wallace's Wasteland, which is about our war on waste, about shocking statistics, about how like a third of what we throw away each year is less than 12 months old, just sort of the volume of of waste that, that we make. The people who are trying to deal with this waste around the world from like Ghana to the Thames to India and yeah, the impact our production of waste has. That that was a very sobering read for sure. And then the final one was um, John Valence Fireweather, which centres on a huge wildfire in 2016 in Fort McMurray in Alberta, but kind of just looks at the wildfires that have been burning across Canada this year and the fact that this is probably going to get worse. Um, so it's a terrifying book, but it was incredibly timely, which he must have started writing way before this year's wildfires, but just came out at the perfect moment to tell us more about what was going on. So that's very jolly for you there. <laughs> well, and, you know, when we talk about books like this, you know, we've also had, you know, more kind of bad news for the climate this year. And I can only imagine we'll be seeing more stark assessments of our place on this planet as warming continues and, and has consequences. So I imagine there's a there's a certain art to writing a book that people will read and learn from and maybe do something about based on their reading without just falling into doom and gloom. Yeah, I think you need something to say that this is what's next, not just this is where we are and it's all all a disaster. I did pick a sobering fiction read as well, which was another of our book club choices, Pod by Laline Paul, which is a crazy sounding book when you say the premise. It's narrated by a dolphin. What? Um, <laughs> is this a dolphin from John Scalzi's starter villain by any chance? <laughs> well, she doesn't talk to people, but okay. <laughs> she talks to, to other fish. But she um, is a spinner dolphin and she heads out into the ocean. And it's her journey, the fish that she meets, the whale, the bottlenose dolphins, the wrasse. There's a remora that hooks onto her. They've all got their different voices. And somehow Lillian Paul pulls this off to make it work. And it is a work of brilliance, I think, but it is also incredibly moving because the way that the way that it makes you think about our polluted ocean is so visceral and so much, uh, I don't know, it just really stayed with me. And I was sceptical about how it would work, but I think she really pulled it off. And when I finished it, I was on the tube coming home and I was just, I was just in floods of tears, you know, that, that you're trying to hide from your fellow passengers. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so that was sobering, but also I think a really important book. It almost sounds like by changing the perspective, even perhaps in a ridiculous seeming way, the book kind of really helped you get inside an empathetic space that you might not have otherwise. A book with a message, but um, it doesn't feel like that. And so somehow the message gets across even more strongly, I think. I like that. I'm putting that on my list for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 2023 is done. All those books are off your desk. What is coming up in the coming year that you cannot wait to be published so you can finally talk about it with someone or that you cannot wait to pick up and start looking at? I've actually got both of these books on my desk. They're out next <laughs> year, but um, I, I just haven't managed to read them yet. So the first one I will tell you about is a nonfiction book, which is Annabelle Abbs is Sleepless, which is about how the author experiences a series of bereavements and develops insomnia. And apparently, well, it says here on the press release, it affects one in three of us. And I can well believe that having often suffered it from, from it myself. Same. But um, she... 
she discovers something it says here on the back uh, that she calls her night self. And rather than sort of finding her insomnia something to make her more and more anxious, she she tries to discover the potential of her night self and looks into people like Virginia Woolf and Louise Bourgeois, the artist, finding that uh, women have long found sanctuary in darkness and just exploring who you can be at night that you couldn't be during the day. I think it sounds fascinating. I'll be interested to see if she she pulls this off. It's winter in the Northern Hemisphere, and that sounds like the perfect read for these really long, dark nights we've got right now, when night seems to stretch <laughs> for the entire day. Yeah, absolutely. And for those nights that maybe you can't doze off to try and try and see the good in that rather than, yeah. <laughs> rather than yeah. the, the length of the night. And then fiction-wise, I'm really excited about Natasha Pulley's The Mars House, which just sounds loads of fun. It's a queer romance. There's an arranged marriage that's trying to save the planet. There's an apocalyptic <laughs> dust storm on Mars. I mean, what is not to, to love here? I can't wait to get, get going on it. Oh, that sounds so busy in a good way. Yeah, it says on the front, all you need to survive is a little cinder of hope. <laughs> love that. <laughs> that's delightful. How about you? What am I looking forward to? Oh my gosh. Um, I'm going to tell you about a book that doesn't even exist yet that probably won't come out this year but is like the fourth book in a series that I've been reading for the last five years I want to say um so this is a series called The Locked Tomb it is fiction it started with a book called Gideon the Ninth and then the second and third books are called Harrow the Ninth and Nona the Ninth and the fourth book will be called Electa the Ninth and None of those names might make sense to you Allison but it's basically a series about a world that is much like ours, but set far in the future after vague catastrophe. And the main characters are necromancers who also have spaceships. There are queer overtones all across. The author is Tamsin Muir. And this series has been kind of a cult favorite among people, at least my age in the United States. I don't know how far this has spread, but it's it's a very, um, I would call it like Harry Potter for grownups in many ways. But the series finale should include either universal destruction or salvation, uh, the death of an emperor, maybe, the reunification of long-lost love, and, you know, some big sweeping themes like that, but also a lot of dad jokes. So, Electo the Ninth, I don't know when it's coming out. We're all waiting for it someday. That's well, it sounds like a great series. <laughs> I'm going to check it out. I need a yeah, new, it's a really new fun. series to become obsessed with. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Allison, for coming in and being a bookworm with me today. Thank you. It's a lot of fun. And I hope you get lots of reading done over the holidays. Thank you. I am I am eager to catch up. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Culture Lab from New Scientist Podcasts. That was Allison Flood talking about some of the best books she read this year. You can find the full list in our show notes at newscientist.com slash podcasts. If you liked this interview, make sure you subscribe to our feed for more like it. Plus, our weekly news podcast and other special treats drop every Friday and Tuesday. Find more of the great journalism from New Scientist on our website at newscientist.com. I'm Christy Taylor. Happy reading and bye for now. This podcast is produced by OG Podcasts. Find out more at ogpodcasts.co.uk. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ 
the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. 